0: Welcome to the Jolly Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Barrett. This podcast is for those who are interested in the conversation around diversity, inclusion, and equity. Each week, I'll be interviewing a guest who has something special to share or is actively part of building solutions in this space. Let's get started. All right, this week, I have the absolute pleasure uh, with the following people that have joined me this week, Chuck Lockhart, John Short, and Marco Lindsay. Thank you all so much for being here.
1: Thank you for your invite. Thank you.
0: Yes, I'm excited to talk to you all because I think everybody is always kind of looking at recruiting. As part of their strategy for diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I'm excited to have Marco on the phone and I'm excited to have Chuck and John really talk about recruiting and what you all are doing in the space while Marco is is really focused on a lot of the strategy for diversity, equity, and inclusion. So with that, before we jump into that, Um, maybe you all could start by just talking a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Um, because I know, uh, cross ocean technology is one of the few black owned recruiting firms, uh, in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe you could talk a little bit, John, maybe you could kick us off with how, how you got started.
1: Sure. Thank you, Melissa. Um, Man, it's been been a long journey. I'll say that to start with. Um, I actually got started in this space as an outcome of being in the technology space. Um, I am an original San Diegan, original Californian, but I was born and raised in San Diego. Uh, And I kind of knew early on that I wanted to be or have some affiliation with technology. So I relocated to the Bay Area in 1986, um, just a few years after high school and, and a couple of years after co- my uh, origination at college. But I moved up here to finish college and my whole goal was to uh, work somewhere in Silicon Valley. And I wasn't exactly sure where that was going to be when I was in school in college. And, uh, I met a lady on BART one day, uh, she was a consultant with Anderson Consulting and I befriended her and she actually, uh, started me to thinking about a life in consulting and primarily because there were such a lack of people of color in this space back in the, you know, early nineties, late eighties, um, it is what really piqued my interest. And so I, uh, after, after finishing college and graduating, I applied, I was one of, uh, I was actually hired with Anderson consulting, which at the time was the top, uh, consulting firm in the country or in the world. Um, but had very few people of color. And so, uh, when I got hired, I started working with technology teams and implementing systems around the world globally, um, you know, moved up uh, the ladder um, fairly quickly. And, uh, and then I left and I went to another large company, which was IBM, and found out that there was a lack of color, you know, in, in the executive spaces there, too. Now, I will say IBM was more adept at having people of color in very um, uh, influential uh, positions and had been doing it for a long time. So it wasn't as though when I was with Anderson Consulting, there was just a lack of people of color in the organization. But at IBM, there were people of color in the organization and they were in very influential positions. And so um, my career with uh, IBM was 20 years and I would work with customers that I felt when they would select me to manage their portfolios, um, I I also felt that they were trying to to achieve or reach an initiative. Um, And that was to have more diversity in their their workspace. And so I kind of fit that bill um, a lot of times. And what it allowed people to do was start to work with people that they weren't familiar with and understand that people of color are, are very bright, very smart, um, we think outside of the box. And uh, it, it was rewarding for me personally. Uh, but after about 19 years of doing this, um, I just came to the conclusion that uh, there was a barrier and I wanted to address it. And I started Cross Ocean Technologies. And uh, once I started Cross Ocean Technologies, our primary focus was to try and uh, introduce people of color to the clients that we were working with that made that an initiative. And we have very, Cross Ocean Technologies has very good relationships with a number of organizations that are nationally uh, recognized. And uh, have very bright people involved. Um, those organizations have allowed us to place a number of people in very key and influential positions around uh, around the country with uh, different clients that we've worked with. And now we're developing even a broader uh, a broader initiative with working with uh, Marcos a uh, Marco, and uh, really trying to broaden the uh, opportunity with these companies and be developing their strategies around diversity and inclusion. Uh, so Fantastic. that's how I arrived here. And uh, like I said, it's been a long journey, but we are starting to see some of the benefits of making this a focus, working
0: with the clients that we've been working with. Great, Chuck, mm-hmm. I'll I'll go to you first and then I'll wrap round it out with Marco.
2: Okay. Uh... My journey was a little different. Um, I was born and raised in California, a Bay Area boy. Graduated high school, went away to college. I was a ball player, went away to college playing ball, on a scholarship, got hurt, transferred back home and ended up at Cal State. I was a mass communication major and ended up falling in love with the career that I had no idea I was going to go into initially. uh, I worked 27 years with the Alameda County Probation Department where I ended ended my career as a shift commander and departmental trainer and various other things that I did in, in the system. But I found out I had a love for helping people and trying to put people in positions where they can be successful. That was always my, my main focus while I was there. And from what people tell me, um, I was very good at it. I retired from there maybe five years ago uh, and began working at, with a residential program. Wait a minute, residential treatment facility where I was the program manager and moved on to a, a trainer and compliance manager in the transportation industry and COVID came. And when the COVID came, I, that was, that was the end of, it closed our business with NV It closed my division. And I happened to have a conversation with a gentleman named Tony Quincy, who I've known for some years, who introduced me to John Short and Next thing I know, I'm with Crosshost. Um, and it kind of doing what I do with regards to recruiting, it 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 ties in with everything that I that I did just in another, just in another vein. Being able to communicate to people across lines, being able to to help people, being able to place people in positions where they can be successful in guiding and coaching and mentoring. That is what I have found has been one of the number one key components and assets that I use with regards to talking to clients, with regards to talking to to vendors, um, because it's a universal skill. Either you have it or you don't. And being just being in this position over the last, I would say, maybe a year, it, it's caused me to, I always say I'm reinventing myself. Just in a new career, a new venture, and and I I love it. And there's to me, there's no greater joy than when you work with somebody for a while, and you first talk to them, and then they they're they're like, "Oh, I'm you really trying to help me get a job? You're really gonna place me in a job?" And they end up getting the job, and the joy that they have, and the sense of relief that they have. Now, I, I it makes them feel whole. I can provide for my family. I, I have, I have means to do things. It's, it's a very rewarding experience that I, that I truly, truly love. And That's
0: fantastic.
2: I'm not going anywhere. <laughs>
0: <Here> <laughs> I'm sure I know all these people are picking up on all these, on all the drops of, in of gems that you guys are dropping with respect to conversations. I mean, even on Bart, it, you know, uh, And all of the skill set transfers and the reinventing yourself, which is awesome. So I want to pivot over to Marco and have him talk a little bit about how he got to where he is today, specifically with a focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, and how the the complement of what you're doing um, you know, create some sustainability when when DEI practitioners are really talking about recruiting.
3: Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. And thank you again for having us. Um, just just so you know, these two gentlemen on the call are people I look up to. And uh, <clears throat> the work that they do are, is inspiring. And so it is necessary. I'll just say I'm, I'm a Bay Area native, born and raised in Oakland, California, uh, was a chief of staff for many years um, at a local university. A chief of staff, the role is primarily work executives, right? You're advising executives. You have, you have to be the person to give them the feedback that nobody else will. You have to help them understand the strategy and help them um, in a lot of spaces. If you have uh, media executives on a, on a team, you know, you have a person focused on finance, folks, folks, first personal folks with operations. Um, they stay in their lane, but it's the chief of staff that comes to bring them together for the total overall uh, purpose of the organization. So I did that for many years. That was my dream job. Um, but once I accomplished that, you know, I wanted more, right? And so uh, throughout my entire life, I've always given back and tried to help our people, right? Um, what I know, and I mean, you all know this, is that uh, people of color, we don't lack the ambition, we don't like the drive, we don't lack any of those things. We just lack the opportunity, right? Sure. We lack the, someone to, to vouch for us to get us in the door like other cultures do. Right. And so with that, you know, I wanted to leverage some of the opportunities that I have, some of the connections that I have to do more. And so at that time, I, I, I pivoted, retooled, went and got uh, diversity first certified, um, you know, when uh, when uh, went to school back in Dallas uh, to do that. Came back here and there's a, a few things going on. Uh, one, at the time, I was associate director of DEI at the UC Berkeley's High School of Business, the business school. Uh, But then also volunteer with an organization called the 100 Black Men of the Bay Area. Uh, Something that we were doing, and we still do it to this day, uh, we host career fairs, right? And a lot of them are are specifically focused on the tech arena. Uh, We started off in 2016, and the first one was on non-engineering careers in tech, with the idea being that, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people who don't necessarily come from a lot of wealth and privilege, when they hear tech, they hear Google, they hear Facebook, they think coding. They don't realize there's Thousands of other jobs at a tech company that you can do and make good money and not know how to code. And so what I wanted to do was expose more of our people to this information. Right. And then also at the same time, tech companies will get in trouble for their lack of diversity. And so because I had the connections in tech, uh, because we have these community connections, we wanted to bridge the gap. And so we began holding these these career fairs where we would, you know, fill the room and this is, you know, pre-COVID. Uh, we'd fill a room in, 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 you know, it was Oakland Impact Hub at the time, but we have done other spaces. Uh, let's just say 300 career seekers. We'd have about 15 different uh, recruiting organizations and just talk to the folks about the jobs that they can fill that's within your organization. What we know is that we have a lot of people here, um, and I, you know, I'm in the Bay Area, but nationwide um, who look like us and they're capable. And many of them are already doing the job, but they're doing out at mom and pop. They're doing that at brick and mortar. And they can do that same job and take those same skills to a tech company and triple their income, right? I'm a firm believer that while we're in a capitalistic society, you know, if we're gonna fight justification, I'm not necessarily sure we can legislate against it. If a landlord is gonna take $5,000 from somebody from Indiana and I only have 500 I'm from Oakland, they're gonna take the 5,000 every time. So the idea was let's help our people get the 5,000, right? And so we started with that. We did that for several years. But what I was noticing was um, there was there was a revolving door. Right. And I felt like a bad steward. And I'll say this, that, you know, people were trusting me. They were they were coming to the organization and saying, hey, we're going to go work at these companies. You know, thank you. Then they get to the company, and have a horrible experience. Mm-hmm. Right. And I feel bad. Right. Because I'm, I'm the one that helped them get into this bad situation. And so I realized that instead of just helping, you know, our people get these jobs, let me use my chief of staff skills. Let me use my DEI skills. So that way I can have some conversations with these executives, with these hiring managers, with these leaders to say, "Hey, you say you want diversity. I mean, you, you put it all over your website. You know, when George Floyd came out, everybody was, you know, had all these billions of dollars and all these nice statements. But what are you doing to make sure that the workplace is actually welcoming and inviting to people of color?" Mm-hmm. And the truth is most most organizations weren't doing anything, right? They in, in this I'm, I'm, I'm going to speak candidly. It's a white space. Right. And you want to bring people of color into a white space. But then you want us to behave like you. And <laughs> right. so when when you when you do that, I can't bring my full self. Right. Right. I have to filter, every thought to to, to before I, I say it, mm-hmm. then I'm not really expanding my thought process. Right. That's extra labor that I have to do before I can even contribute to the conversation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so what I start doing is working with organizations, working with leaders, and again, using those same connections to start sitting down with the leadership and have a conversation and say, hey, these are some things that are common across every industry that you need to know about, right? Let's talk about what a microaggression is. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about white fragility. Let's talk about what that looks like. Let's talk about white tears. Let's talk about how, you know, you can't walk up to a black woman and to touch her hair just because you think it's nice. Right. right. Let's let's talk about these things and let's create some strategies. Let's write some stuff down and let's create spaces. So that way um, not only do you have the strategy, but I want you to be able to have the tools to give your team uh, what they need to give you the feedback in case you make a mistake. And one of the one of the reasons why that's so key is that there are a lot of people who don't necessarily come from our our background and they're afraid of DI because they're, they're going to say something wrong. Right. And, you know, they want to get canceled or you know, they don't want to come off as racist. But what I try to do is work with them. So that way, you know let your team know that you're on a journey. Diversity, equity, inclusion is a journey. I do this for a living and I'm still not there. No one gets there. We're always learning. There's always new concepts that are coming out. I mean, if you think about it, 60 years ago, you'd have called me a Negro, right? You don't call me that now. And things change in, in every demographic and every culture. And so what or I want people to understand
0: what I called you, right? Yeah. That too, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> and so the idea being, like, make sure that your team knows that you're on a journey. Let them know that you're working with me, and that most more likely, you're gonna make a mistake. But let's have some grace, so that way you can have a, a situation where you don't have people afraid to let you know when you're making a mistake, because then that creates an environment where more mistakes are made. And so. You know, I do a lot of one-on-ones with with, with uh, executives. I actually do group trainings. Um, I'll come in and and, and give a, a a speech, a town hall. Um, but ultimately, we need to move the needle because as as John and Chuck are you know doing all this all this hard work to get us into these organizations, I just want to make sure these organizations are not chewing us up and spitting us out.
0: Right, and I know I have seen you know everybody's trying to measure results and. You know, if you're at a company and you're measuring retention and you see, you know, people of color walk out the door, you you know, Chuck and John are doing the work to get them in there. And then guess what? The door is open a year or two later and you have this 70 percent attrition rate or something um, yeah. that, you know, those are the challenges that companies really need to be paying attention to because the, the question is why? there is something about the culture at the organization that needs to be addressed in order to make people feel included. So I, I wholeheartedly agree with what you're saying. I think it's, it's a challenge for all of us. um, And certainly, you know, we as African-Americans on this, on this call or on this uh, podcast, um, you know, we can't, we can't do all the heavy lifting, uh obviously we need everybody to participate in order to move the needle so what are some some things that you all can talk about when it comes to recruiting and best practices around diversity equity and inclusion when it comes to recruiting
1: you know that's a good question and uh a lot of times it raises a, another question which is are you really serious mr client about this initiative And because, you know, a lot of times it's not widely accepted, especially within organizations that have never, um, made it, you know, a priority. And so there's, even though these departments are being stood up, you know, to address the issue, um, a lot of times there's not a lot of support on how you address it or even an understanding how to attack it. And so, we have to go through all of that minefield, so to speak, um, before we can even get an individual in. A lot of times, and so, you know, the regular recruiting process is really there to uh, the process we follow. We're really trying to we're trying to find the right candidate for the job, and that starts with a lot of discussion. What we do is we actually try to go and visibly see the environment if it allows, you know. Uh, us to do that because we want to make sure those cultural type of characteristics are also included in the overall search for the right candidate. So we use different tools naturally, but a lot of times um, a tool doesn't necessarily give you the background of the individual and the experiences of the individual. So it's still very much so a a touchy feely uh, approach that we use. and a lot of times the networking uh, comes to play too, because we want to make sure that the individuals we're looking at and talking to have a track record or a history in the fields that we're recruiting for. So <clears throat> those are just skills that you know we uh, we execute with. Um, there's really not. I mean, you, a lot of times you can see that uh, the industry is moving towards trying to be more automated in a sense. But a lot of this you can't quite capture through automation yet, at least. I think at some point in the future it may be. But right now, you still really need to have that that connection with the individual. And so what benefit we provide our customers is by bringing all of those things together and really you know, searching and, and selecting the right candidates to present to them. Um, we have a really good, successful, uh, successful track record because we do do this. And, you know, we really try to, uh, you know, look at the individual's associations too. So we, one tool that's being used um, that, you know, recruiters aren't really, I would say it's not really part of their cadre of tools, but social media tells you a whole lot about an individual today. Um, and we can go on their social media, social media platforms. We can go on their LinkedIn platforms, you know, all of the different platforms that exist and really start to have an image of that individual. Um, and a lot of times I'll tell people, Hey, you know, we're going to introduce you to this client, but you might want to go out and look at your social media platforms and clean some of those things up. And you'd be surprised what you see, you know, a lot of times, at least I am, (laughs) Um, so yeah, there's not like you know, there's not like a whole new approach to recruiting, so to speak, um, that's much different than it was 15, 20 years ago. It's really the associations and the you know, the understanding of the candidates that you're introducing
0: to your clients. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, so then where does a, a um Where does a company start? Because I think um, a lot of times people will, you know, if I'm at a corporation and, you know, I have been at one for decades, um, a lot of times they, you know, they're thinking about their overall diversity, equity and inclusion strategy. Um, Recruitment is kind of like the first thing that comes to mind. We need representation. We got to bring people in. We need to, you know, Um, And one of the challenges is always about, you know, people who either already work there, um, you know, because retention certainly needs to be one aspect. Um, But in terms of the overall strategy, um, how, how what's the best the best way to employ a recruiting company? Um, when you're talking about your DEI strategy, I think Marco talked a lot about resources. Um, and there's a lot of people, a lot of companies that are struggling with, you know, what exactly, what resources do I need? When should I be bringing in a recruit, a recruitment firm versus, you know, going to all the normal, the regular traditional colleges to pull in, uh, talent a good question, too. Um, you know, a lot of
1: companies, when they embark on this initiative, um, they use traditional means to recruit. And the traditional means are, you know, they'll put up an advertisement somewhere, and they hope people are going to answer that advertisement, and that way they find the candidate. But so what we do is we actually, we go out and we look at your requirement and we go out and find that individual through our network, Um, if if it's a diverse candidate you're looking for. Um, And our network is broad. Um, All of us come from different organizations that um, are really a culmination of very bright people that are, you know, dedicating their time to helping the overall community succeed, whether it's jobs or individually, you know, we're tapped into those organizations. So we've got a little bit more of an advantage when it comes to that. And, and that's, our, that's really our asset. And so um, to engage an organization like ours is really not difficult. I mean, we're, you know, we're on different platforms advertising, but that's the benefit we're gonna bring to you versus you following traditional methods and, and just you know, advertising your job and hoping the right person answers. And that's why I asked, you know, all my clients, are you really serious? You know, or how serious are you in in making this an initiative in your organization? And so what, as Mark Marco had indicated earlier, what we started seeing was that you know, we go out and we find the best and brightest. Sometimes they move across country. Um, and everybody knows how expensive it is to live here. So that's the first thing we've got to deal with, right? Um, but we get these folks and then they come in and then, you know, we find out a month and a half later, it didn't work. And so that's why I said, you know, we, I want to find someone that really focuses on retention and sustainability in this space. And that's how we came across Marco um, and, and the work that he's doing. So we're going to add that to our um, overall offering. We are adding it to our overall offering so that not only do we recruit the best person, but that person is then retained and make sure that we have drivers in
0: place to retain them. Fantastic. Let's pause for a moment. We'll be right back.
3: To add on there that one of the reasons why um, it's so important to work with a team like this is because Far too often, people get their job through referrals. Mm-hmm. You know somebody in the company. Well, if your company is 90% white, then you probably are referring more and more white people. So you're mm-hmm. replicating the problem that you're saying you're trying to get away from. And so you have to get out of yourself because you don't have those networks. And far too often, um, we see if recruiters looking at a resume, uh, sometimes it's, it's the small things, right? It's like, oh, you want a rowing club? I'll- was on one club too. And that's what sets them apart. Mm -hmm. Oh, you were in this fraternity. I was in that fraternity Mm -hmm. too. Well, again, you're just perpetuating the same problem because you're getting more people like you within the organization. And you're saying that you want diversity. And I'll just say, you know, you talk about best practices. I got a couple I can throw out there, but a worst practice far too often when you talk about DI initiatives is organizations routinely go to the black people within the organization to say, fix the diversity problem. Yes. Right. We're going to put you on this task force. We want you to create this ERG. And one, this person, let's just say, is a coder. They don't they've never created, you know, a group, but you're going to tap them because they're black and they're in the demographic that you're looking for. But then also far too often, they're not paid for it. Right. So it's like do your day job. You you need to hit these numbers. But then in addition to that, we want you to create this whole council and do all this other stuff as a volunteer, and, you know, that's just a tax that black people and brown people shouldn't have to pay. Your organization created the problem. We're here trying to solve the problem. We want to help, but don't make me help for free. I, I got I, I want to eat, too. I, you know, I like food. I like my lights to be at home, you know. So, you yeah. know, make sure that you properly cons- uh, compensate people and that you're reaching out and finding firms that specify in this. Don't go to somebody in your organization that doesn't do this. Their, their job is, is market. Their job is sales. Their job is not recruitment. And that's why you have Jonathan.
0: Yeah.
2: I love it. Well, listen, I, just in my even in my pre even in my pre my previous profession, um, very similar. Um, there was always a glass ceiling. Mm. And we were always I, as people of color, we were always prepared, and you can kind of see the glass ceiling. It's like this big elephant in the wall. Um And I I I believe that in order to to really hit the hit the finite and key points on on the DI initiatives, the people on the other side have to really understand that we are just people just like you. We don't look, we we don't we don't talk different. We all speak English, we all have feelings, we all have emotions. Um, we all wanna do we do good on our daily on our jobs, on our daily day walk. And we try to be the best that we can be. It really the only thing that separates us is maybe um maybe I'm I have some color in my skin but my my feelings are still the same um you can't have someone that is that does is not sensitive or does not understand what it is to put those shoes on and walk in those shoes to fix a problem that you've never had those shoes on when i was in probation it was like at one time all the counselors were of color. After you got out, after you got out that building and you went to the net went upstairs, they were not. They were of non-color, and we, there were no black chiefs. There were no really no black directors. All the all the counselors and all the managers were people of color. But then once we came out of Alameda County and we went into these CPOC meetings and chief meetings, these different. Organizations of 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 probation, then we sat there representing Alameda County as maybe one or two in a room of two, three hundred, and people would you know they would you could you could tell there were it made people uncomfortable. Well, there's no there's no reason to be uncomfortable when you realize we're our experts at what we do. We have the knowledge to do and execute what it is that needs to be done. Don't walk around like an eggshell. You know, just keep, that's one way to keep the playing field level. People are people. When we look at people as people and judge them on the performance of their duties, not the expectation of they're going to do this because they're this color or they're that color. It balances the playing field because then you can get to the business at hand, which is pushing the, which is pushing and creating the culture of the organization that needs to be pushed. To meet the goals that need to be met,
0: right? Yeah.
3: I'll touch on that for a hot second. Yeah. So I think you know one of the things that I, I have to remind people is that um, whether you like it or not, America has a bias against black people. That's that's it's just the truth. I mean, if you think about it, you know, Malcolm X said this. You know, at the word black, there are no positive associations with the word black besides Black Friday, maybe, right? But think <laughs> about it. Think about it, a black cat, not the black cat is the most unlucky uh, animal, not a not a tiger. You said if I run across a black cat, that's worse than run across a bear. But anyhow, I mean, you can go black plague, you can do, you know, blackball, blacklisted, everything. And so and that's just the language. We're not even going to get into the historical aspect of this country all right. and, and all the things. that. They, I mean, that's a whole nother segment. We can have that conversation later. But if you come to the conversation and, you know, help people understand that, OK, we all have biases. That doesn't necessarily make you racist. That doesn't make you a bad person. It's how, what you do with those biases, right? And if we can address them and have a conversation about them, and maybe even, you know, I would say sometimes we have to overcompensate. You know, so there was this company called uh, Nexiums, a Chicago-based consulting firm, diversity consulting firm. Uh, they sent out ide- identical legal memos to 60 law firms. And what they did, the only thing that was different from these memos is they would say, These came from black people, these came from white people. Did you know that uh, the organizations were more likely to point out spelling errors and grammatical inaccuracies when they thought it was a black person? They consistently rated the the black uh, uh, memos lower, even though they were the exact same. And this, you can extrapolate this out across the entire everything. Sometimes we've seen like interviews, right? Um, A a white person can make a mistake is overlooked. A black person make a mistake, and now you know what? They're not the right fit. And so that's something that we have to address because it's there. And as much as I don't want it to be there, don't get me wrong, I don't want that. It is. Mm -hmm. And when we can come to the table and say that, like I've worked with executives and I've told them, like, you know, if you're gonna hire somebody, I'm gonna tell you from the gate, if they're black, you're not gonna like them. And it's not anything that they did wrong. It's your own bias. And if you can address that and overcompensate for that bias, knowing that you in the situation with it, then you're more likely to create an atmosphere that makes this person feel comfortable in an interview. Then you're more likely to see them for their talents and not just the color of their skin. And so those are you know, when I know uh, Chuck was talking about that. Like, you know, people come like we're talented. And one of the things I tell people all the time is this, a lot of us have had to overcome a lot to get to work. Where we are. Yes. Are, right. You know that you know we lead so many areas that are bad, right? And we're last in so many areas that are good, right? And just that's the way that America is set up. And what I always tell people is if you get to a space where you have a, a a white candidate, I'm gonna speak candidly, and a black candidate, and they're going for the same position and you're wondering, I promise you the black candidate has to do, go through a lot more to get there. Yeah. So it's it's really not even a test. I mean, it's not even it's not even close. Because we didn't, you know, we didn't all, all have the trust funds. We didn't have the uncles to, to put in a good word for us, right? We didn't have the the, the tutoring, you know, from a, from a Harvard person, you know, all our entire lives. We have to struggle. We have to create solutions. We have to figure stuff out. And once we get to the table, if we're at the table and you're considering me and I'm next to somebody who didn't have to go through anything, then clearly this person is gonna be better for your team because they're gonna help you find solutions that you never thought of because they spent their entire life figuring out solutions in order to get
0: to where they are. Well said, well said, Marco.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Wow. So so then in terms of, um, this is all such a great conversation. Thank you for being so candid about it. Um, can uh, One thing I wanted to ask you, I know you mentioned the 100 black men Um, And I can't leave without talking about I'm certainly part of 100 Black Women and some other organizations. So um, can you can you all talk a little bit about how you're utilizing, um, you know, you talked about career fairs, um, certainly, but are there other ways that companies can reach out or um, utilize uh, organizations such as those to uh, benefit? you know, the process and, you know, that they're going through from a recruitment standpoint. You know, Marco's on mute, I think.
1: Go ahead, John. Yeah, I was going to say companies can reach out to organizations like the 100 Black Men here in the Bay Area um, on certain initiatives that involve people of color right? And the organization itself is in the community. Um, we're looking to advance our, you know, causes um, and help improve and and make the community prosper. And so if that is a um, goal of the organization, I definitely would encourage them to reach out to the 100 Black Men because what we do is we try to start enough so that w- with with the individuals that we work with, by mentoring, um, you know, providing them experiences that they normally wouldn't get, education, health and wellness, uh, what's it, mentoring, education, health and wellness, and uh, economic empowerment. Those are our four initiatives in the 100 Black Men. And those are the initiatives that we're trying to push within the communities at an early age so that they grow up in their, you know, Law-abiding, uh, contributing citizens in society. So we have our hands in that pot, um, and organizations can benefit from that by hiring or, you know, working with individuals within those circles that we we work with. Um, we do have a uh, we have a program right now that we're developing, which is really to help people within the communities. Uh, get opportunities to get, you know, jobs with some of these type of companies we're talking about. And we're acting as a bridge or a liaison between the communities of color and those organizations. Um, The goal ultimately is for them to get higher and then, you know, be able to carry those experiences back with them um, to the community so that we can have, you know, a a closed loop in a circle, so to speak, and and continue to do that. Um, But, You know, one of the things that uh, I think is another benefit for the organizations is that um, we're working and uh, preparing these individuals for lifetime, you know, success, not just in the moment, but lifetime success. And that's where, you know, the organization itself is, it consists of people who volunteer their time to give back. Um, somebody spent their time to give it to me when I first started in corporate America. Somebody spent their time to give Marcos, you know, those tools that he needed to be successful. Same thing with Chuck, same thing with probably you too, Melissa. Um, but now it's our time to pay forward. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're doing and making sure that we can continue to push the bar higher and higher and higher, you know, as it relates to opportunities for people of color like ourselves. So we, we fully the 100 Black Men of the Bay Area fully embraces that uh, initiative. And uh, we recognize those who, you know, our, our, our sponsors or our, our corporate partners, um, we recognize them yearly um, at our 100 Gala, you know, for their contributions and making this a success for all. And
3: another aspect of that is that most organizations have a corporate social responsibility. Um, arm, if you will, right? And so corporations are, I think, especially with this new generation, um, corporations aren't as attractive if they're just so transactional, right? Like, we only go come to Black people we want to hire you, then after that, we're not talking to you no more. That, that doesn't work, right? And so we have to do more. And, you know, the 100 is a great space. I'm, I mean, I'm a member and, you know, I love it, but there's a ton of organizations that we have connections with right? Like the National Black MBA Association, right? National Society of Black Public Accountants, Bay Area Urban League of Young Professionals. I mean, there's tons of organizations out there that corporations can and should be connected to, right? Because what this is about is a partnership and don't just, you know, don't just come to our community and try to take the best of our brightest, right? That's what you're trying to do. Don't, don't do that. Work with us. Like, figure out, help us create initiatives. Help us. Uh, tell us, you know, okay, we see that you know, this sector is going to be, you know, uh, on fire in 10 years. OK, let's work together to create programs so that way our youth are prepared for that. Right. Let's have those type of conversations. So that way, you know, now you can be seen as a trusted corporate partner. Right now, when, when, when John says, you know, are you serious that you want to do this? OK, you know what? We see it. We see it on the back end. We see that you're actually going out into the community and, and helping out and, and, and donating or, or donating your time or whatever the case may be. That's what's important. Yeah. And that's 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 really what sets a lot of corporations apart. Like some just want to come. You know what? Oh, you have somebody who went to Harvard. he went to Princeton. We want him. Uh, there's more to it than that. You know, yeah. can you help the, our entire community? Because we're going to help you in your bottom line.
0: Yes, right. absolutely. You you use the term partnership. I like to use the word relationship. This is a long term relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And and I think corporations get a lot more out of it, um, certainly, uh, as they start to get to know the uh, people associated with these organizations and the people coming through those organizations. So I love the fact that you called out corporate responsibility because I think a lot of times companies, they don't always think in terms of how to connect diversity, equity, and inclusion, corporate responsibility, social impact, sustainability, all of those things can play together to create a community of practice that is um, more significant uh, and really allows you to leverage um, that journey in a way that it can be unprecedented for your organization. So thank you for that.
1: And and that's why we ask that question, you know, are you serious? Because a lot of a lot of time, you know, there are phrases out there that people use that sound good for the moment, right? But this is truly, a, a, it's its cataclysmic in organizations. It's a, it's a fundamental change because now what you're doing is you're actually using diversity um, in thought, in preparation, in, you know, your whole business approach. And it's all, you know, if a business is not being innovative, it's, gonna, it's not going to last. And so this allows you to become innovative by leveraging those different ideas when you create things or when you're actually, you know, trying to, to push your brand further. Um, and so, you know, you got to be serious about doing that versus just trying to meet numbers, you know, and that's what you find a lot of executives trying to do is meet their numbers, get their numbers up. It kind of reminds me of, uh, what was it back in the 60s? When there was a big push to hire black people, um, what was it? Uh,
0: affirmative, yeah, action. Affirmative, affirmative action. Eye, right? Affirmative action. Affirmative <laughs> action. That was right, everything. You know? and, and,
1: and you saw people starting to even back away from affirmative action. Even, you know, people of color were blacking away from affirmative action and saying, "I don't want to just be hired, you know, as a number. I want to bring, you know, innovation or different ideas to the table that you're going to consider and potentially implement." And so that's what we've actually graduated from, affirmative action to now D&I. And I hope that, you know, when organizations decide to that they're really taking all of that into consideration, because that's what we're here to help do. And that's what we're, you know, we be successful with you in that journey. Um, So, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's... uh,
0: And I think it's so interesting that you mentioned that because I think a lot of people might be thinking about the perspective on, you know, Black Lives Matter and value. But those are all things, you know, I just came off of, uh, you know, a celebration and it's it was all about, you know, African-Americans are not they're not African, they're not American. So they have no culture Um, and that type of mindset. Um, those types of things you're talking about with affirmative action, I'm only getting the job because of my skin color that erodes the value, the very value that we bring to the table. Um, and so I, I just really am encouraged by the work that you all are doing, um, to bring together you know, DEI, recruitment, and, and really the strategy overall, because I think, I think a lot of companies are struggling with what their strategy needs to be. But they also have to understand that the strategy sometimes has to pivot just based on the culture. Yeah. Um, and so I think it becomes really, it's a challenging journey, but it is a journey. So thank you all so much for all the things that you're doing in the space. Any last thoughts? You know, um, again, our information is public. Uh,
1: we welcome opportunities to work with diverse organizations, you know, and, and really connect them to the type of candidates that they're looking for or having a challenge finding. Um, and, and like I said, our, our network, our net is, is very, very broad. It's, it's global to a degree. Um, a lot of times you find the best and the brightest in, in niche niche places and we can tap into those places to to really bring those candidates to bear. So um, just wanted to reiterate that um, cross-ocean technologies. There's a reason why we're called cross-ocean and uh, everybody that I hire asks me that question. Why do you call it cross-ocean? It's basically because we don't have boundaries. We don't place any boundaries on us and we uh, Uh, we want to be able to tap into those areas that most people can't tap into to help our clients succeed.
0: Fantastic. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I love it. Chuck.
2: Um, If I I could just leave anything on a lasting word, just it's okay to be uncomfortable to be comfortable. Everything is not always going to be comfortable. Um, In order to, to create balance, Sometimes you got to go one block on one side, one block on another side. You may have to put a little bit more on one side and and balance it out. It's okay to be comfortable, but it is what you do in those uncomfortable situations to make things comfortable. People have, like like Marco said, people have to realize it's okay if you don't understand. That's called a learning curve. It's okay if you're unsure. That's called lack of experience. It's okay... If you're trying to figure it out, that means you, you, you just have a little bit, you got a little bit more knowledge to learn. But over the, over the sands of time, as, as, as things are put together and as, as people work together, you begin to see the talents of others and what people bring to the table. Um, and most people don't like feeling uncomfortable. They don't want to, oh, I don't want to go there. It's okay. If I address you or if I'm telling you or if I'm uncomfortable, that has to be okay too. because there was a time, like John said we went from we went from we went from affirmative action to DI, right before affirmative action, but we weren't even invited to the table. So this is this is the springboard or the win that has come from those sales that is now sales. So now it's up to us to take it to
0: that next level. Next level. That's it. Marco, you want to round us out? Sure. Um, I'll just quickly, uh, I can
3: be found on LinkedIn, Marco T. Lindsay, um, mtlindsayconsulting.com. But on my LinkedIn, I have my three life models. And I'm just going to leave you with the first two. The first one is live your life as if your 80-year-old self was watching. So we all could go back if we can go back to high school, go back to 20 years ago, there's something we would do differently. There's at least one thing you would do differently, right? What will 80-year-old you wish that you had done differently yeah. today? Have that, have that type of hindsight with foresight, right? To say, okay, because what's gonna happen for those that don't wanna get on a bandwagon now, right? And we're talking about the DI space. We're talking about recruiting more people of color. Um, when you're 80, you're gonna look back on your life and there are people who are 80 now who are around in the 60s and they didn't, they didn't march. And their and their grandkids will look like, Grandpa, what did you do during these, these crazy times? And they didn't do anything. And so, with everything that we do, we have to have that mentality, I believe, that hey, one day I won't be able to speak as clearly as I can speak now. One day I won't be able to help as many people. I won't be able as thoughtful as I am. And so I have to use my faculties and my abilities to, to, to do what I can to make this world better. And to make sure that when I am you know, on my deathbed with great, great grandkids looking around that I'm, I'm, I'm okay, and I can hear the, you know, the server well done. Second life model, if you help as many people as possible become successful, then you can't help but be successful yourself, that is and correct. that's what it boils down to. We, that's what we're doing. We're trying to help people become successful, and a lot of times these people can't do anything for us, right? They, they don't have a, they don't have a pot, right? They, they don't have two, two pennies to rub together, but I still want to see you win, and I tell this to people all the time that I work with, like, I want to see you win, It's important for our culture that you win. It's important for our people that that you get a job and you move up in that tech company. So that way you can be a leader that our kids can look up to. And so I'm going to do everything that I can to make sure that you win. And I think that the more of us have that mentality from all demographics, all cultures, I think the better the better our society will be and the more people that we will end up helping. Those those are my final remarks.
0: We will achieve inclusion. <laughs> I yes, love we it. will. I love it. Yes. Success. Black excellence. I have had such a pleasure talking to you gentlemen. And thank you so much for joining me on the Jolly Podcast. And I look forward to talking to you all again. Yes. Mm-hmm. So keep up the great work, and um, you know you can always call on me for for anything you need. But keep on keeping on. Thank you, Melissa. thank you, you Melissa. It. Yes, and thank you to your patrons too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thanks for joining me on the Jolly Podcast. Please subscribe so you won't miss an episode. See you next week.